be seated. I'd like to uh, read from 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. It says, This is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you. God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie, and we don't live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. In the last... 15 years of being part of this church, I have learned a thing or two about what it means to follow Jesus. I've learned that at times it is very difficult and no fun to admit my failures, but it's always been free. I've learned that authenticity is hard work. But it's always worth it. And I have learned that our past, our struggles, our brokenness are all part of who we are. And we can either try to avoid it, hide it, sweep it under the rug, or we can embrace it as something that has helped to mold us into the people that we have become. Either way, we can't outrun it because it is part of the story of our lives. Morning, y'all. How's everybody? Good. We are... um, in the middle of the series called, I think the long version is, Lessons I've Learned Over 15 Years of Doing Church at Westridge. That's the uh, unedited version. Uh, And I thought being our 15 year, we just celebrated our 15 year birthday last week, uh, being our 15 year anniversary and all, that uh, I would share with you 15 lessons. But don't worry, I'm not going to dump them all on you today. It's over a four-week uh, series. Uh, but, you know, I was, I, as I've been kind of working uh, through all of these things, it just really occurred to me that 15 lessons doesn't really even scratch the surface of all the things that I've learned throughout the years. But uh, I'll share a little bit. Um, before I continue, though, I wanted to just say thank you. To everyone, because last weekend was an incredible weekend. Um, we had the uh, best of Westridge Saturday night, and then the birthday celebration on Sunday morning, and it was an amazing time of celebration, and it was a great time of joy, I think, for everybody. Uh, and there's been a lot of people that have asked about uh, the birthday offering and how that came out. And I just want to say, for those of you who don't pay attention, I think that our kind of weekly giving is somewhere around twelve thousand a week or something. Uh, but in, uh, for all of the weekend, for the birthday gifts, we were able to receive over $43,000 uh, last weekend. 
Yeah. And I just want to say the cool thing about that is, um, you know, in the church, it's just a pretty well-known fact that, you know, 20% of the people give 90% of the money. It's kind of a normal thing in a church. Uh, but the cool thing about the birthday offering was there were literally hundreds of gifts. And it wasn't like one or two people that were kind of carrying the day. It was like everybody came together to respond in that moment. And I think that's a testimony to, A, the spiritual growth that is occurring here at Westridge because that only that kind of giving only comes as a result of, of us, you know, being in a relationship with God. And then the other thing is I just think of everyone's love and passion for Westridge. Um, and so anyway, I just want to say thank you and really appreciate your generosity. And it's uh, awesome to be part of this, this place. So thanks. Um, I think we're on lesson number four. Um, and lesson number four I have as dance like no one is watching, a.k.a. live authentically. Uh, several years ago, I went to a, what's called the Misericordia Festival. If you're not familiar with Misericordia, it's a home uh, for kids with Down syndrome, and they have an annual festival that's kind of a concerts and food and everything, and that's their big fundraiser for the home uh, for the year. And one of my favorite local bands was playing, and so I was pretty excited to go. And I ended up going into the music tent, and the band begins to play, and everyone starts crowding the stage, as always happens at a concert. And as the music begins, you know, everybody kind of does their own little thing. You know, if you've ever been in a concert, you kind of look around, you know, there's kind of the group that's kind of doing the head-bobbing thing, and they're doing that thing, and... Then there's the, the people that are doing more of the uh, Bill Cosby thing, where they're kind of just doing the groove thing, you know, because kind of moving like that. But everybody is very much under control, right? Everybody is, nobody is kind of just letting go and just going wild. I think that everybody was very careful that whatever it is that they were doing looks cool to everybody else around them, which was great because we were all kind of just, you know, doing the same thing. But about halfway through the concert, the crowd just stops. And you could see them, and I'm in the back, but you could just see them stop. And it's like something unexpected was occurring in the middle of this group set. All of a sudden, as the crowd begins to move away and clear from the middle, you could see that there was a group of kids with Down syndrome who were dancing. And they weren't dancing like any of us. I mean, they were like dancing, and they were moving and spinning, and they were just absolutely just, it was amazing. I think that they were oblivious to anything and everyone who was around them, and the incredible thing was, it was almost as if all of the stuff that holds them back in this life was suddenly gone. And they just embraced this kind of pure moment. And they didn't give a rip what any one of us thought about them. Their eyes were closed and they were dancing like nobody else was watching. And you could tell for that one moment in time that these kids who have led such a difficult 
life, were just swept up into another place. There wasn't a dry eye in the house as we just watched them move. Eventually, we all kind of went back on the dance floor and began to dance with them, but instead of dancing like we dance, we danced like all of them were dancing. We were spinning and dancing like we didn't care. And it was such a freeing moment. I don't think that I'll ever forget that. Is it possible that we can live our life out like that? Like if that is a metaphor for our lives. Is it possible that we can forget about all of our mistakes and deficiencies and our past that holds us back and to embrace something new? Embracing something that will allow us to move forward with freedom. Embracing something that could cause us to just get lost in the moment and just live our lives like we are dancing. Like no one is watching. To live our lives with such a sense of authenticity that you could care less if people see the real you or what people think about you. In that passage that I read earlier, in 1 John, it appears to me that there are a couple of conflicting verses in that passage. Because on one hand, it says, if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie, and do not live in the truth. Which certainly implies to me that if you claim to be a Christian then you should be living a life without sin if darkness is representative of sin. But on the other hand, as you go down into that passage, it says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Which seems to be saying that if you are not admitting that you are a sinner then you are making God out to be a liar. It seems like that sin is a part of life. And we're all sinners. So as you look at those two verses, what's the truth? I would argue that this passage is really about living authentically. Because what happens when we live inauthentically is that we try and sweep our sin and the bad stuff in our lives under the rug and we try and hide it out of sight, out of mind. But what that passage says is that if we are walking in darkness, then we're living a lie because when we have this secret life where we are keeping ourselves and God and others in the dark about who we really are, we can never live authentically. So this passage is saying, yes, you do have sin in your life, but it is only as you bring it to the light of God, it's only as you deal with it, it's only as you disclose it, that you can ever beat it. 
walking in the light, or in other words, living in, on authentic, in an authentic relationship with God, is all about being real. There's no pretending like you're all that because the Bible makes it very clear we're not. Instead, we're all just a bunch of messed up people who put our pants on one leg at a time. We're all in the same boat. Somehow, we really do get the impression that if you're a Christian, then you're supposed to be living this perfect life. Which is a great idea. But the fact is that it's just the opposite. That the Christian life is one where while we strive to follow Jesus, while we strive to do what he asks us to do, we get also that we don't have it all together. That we are people who sin and mess up. And we know that we need to get freed up from the stuff that holds us back. And the only thing that frees us up is Jesus. We are people who need Jesus. Still, I think, many of us still don't get it. And there are a lot of us who pose pretending to be something that we are not because we are too ashamed to admit that we have problems or issues in our lives. And so we spend our lives trying to hide who we really are, thinking that somehow we'll be more accepted if we fake it than if people know the real me. And there are so many people who think, God could never love the real me. I don't love the real me. People in the church can't accept the real me because their lives are just too perfect. But the Bible says that all of us, every single one of us in this room, have things in our lives that ain't too pretty. And it's only as we stop hiding out and letting the real you be exposed that authentic community can take place. Which brings us to the next lesson that I've had to learn to live like I'm not perfect. That I need to be able to own my stuff. I was in a community group not too long ago and somebody was sharing about the struggles of their past. And after they shared a particularly difficult and not too pretty and pretty specific part of their personal history, this person just stopped and said, well, now you all really aren't going to like me very much. But they couldn't be more wrong. Because what it did is to make everybody in that room feel like that person was real. And they liked him even more. They owned up to the issues and the struggles in their life, even at the risk of making themselves not look too good. And I could also tell that by that person being vulnerable themselves, that it created an environment where everybody else in that group could feel safe about sharing their own struggles and their own issues because one person took a risk and was authentic, everybody else was able to be authentic and nobody had to pretend. The reality is that when that first person 
takes a risk, everybody else will feel safe about being able to share about who they really are. And deep down, I think that we all want to be freed up to be real. Someone once said, emotional health and wholeness is nothing more than owning our brokenness and allowing God to heal it. And I think that if we're honest about it, every single one of us has stuff in our lives that we're not exactly proud of. And I don't know why it is, but many people in the church feel like they need to hide it from everybody. They need to kind of convey this idea that we're all shiny, happy people and we're all smiles and everything's all good when the reality is we're not. We all have failures, we all have issues, and we all go through times, quite honestly, where our lives are falling apart at the seams and we don't have to pretend like it's not. It's nothing to be ashamed of. It's just life. I think the biggest hurdle for most of us with this issue is a little something we call pride. We hate to admit that we've messed up. We work hard at putting on the big front, pretending that we have everything all together, that we can't even imagine busting out all the dirty, nasty stuff in our lives in front of anybody else so that anybody else could see it. Pride is the biggest obstacle to our healing and growth. Pride keeps us from being authentic. It drives us to think of ourselves more highly than we ought, and it motivates us to look down on other people so that we can feel better about ourselves. What's driving pride is not self-superiority. It's plain old fear. It's a fear that we will be found out for who we really are. And so we put up this mask of pride, this defense mechanism, so that I won't be exposed, so that I won't be rejected or not accepted, so that people can't see the real me. Got any pride going on? I know I do. Which brings us to the next lesson. And that is that I've learned to judge others like you want to be judged. In other words, don't do it. In 1 Peter chapter 2, it kind of talks about how we are to be in the church. And in verse 1, he says, Rid yourselves of all malice, gossip, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. But what do all those things have in common? I would say that they are all symptoms of being fake. That we are so insecure with ourselves, so unhappy with our lives, so ashamed of who we are, that we tear others down to make ourselves look better. We're envious because we believe for whatever reason that other people have it better than I do and so I'm going to try my best to beat them down so that I can look better to the people around me. 
that passage is saying all of those things, gossip, slander, hypocrisy, envy, all of those things are things that kill authenticity. When those things are present in the church, it creates an unsafe place for people to be honest and vulnerable about who they really are and the problems they face because, quite frankly, they feel judged. There are a whole lot of people who are more interested in protecting their own image at all costs and they deflect off of themselves by pointing the finger at other people and the stuff that they're doing wrong. Jesus put it like this. Stop pointing out the speck of sawdust in somebody else's eye when you've got a big old plank sticking out of your own. In other words, stop focusing in on everybody else's junk when you've got enough stuff in your own life to deal with. Stop talking about what's wrong with everybody else when you have your own sin that you need to deal with and you have no room to judge anybody. Those of us who understand the depth of our own sin, those of us who have owned the junk in our lives, we get that we have no room to judge anybody because we are just too busy being grateful to God that He has saved our rear ends from the pits of hell to judge anybody. There's a uh, couple that I know who have now been married for enough years that they felt comfortable telling me a story about when they were dating back in their early 20s. They were uh, very active in their church and um, very strong Christians, but they got pregnant before they were married. And they went to their pastor to seek his counsel, and instead of getting any counseling or getting grace, they received judgment. And as their punishment for their sin, he stood them in front of their Sunday school class and had them to confess their sin in front of the rest of the class. And they said as they stood up, sharing their story and talking about and confessing their sin to everybody. They stood there just crying and embarrassed and you could have heard a pin drop because nobody said nothing. They felt ashamed and rejected and they never ever went back to that church. Let me tell you what an authentic church looks like. If that couple felt like their Sunday school class was a safe place, full of safe people, and they felt comfortable sharing about the stuff in their life that they struggle with and their sin, that's great. And after they're done sharing, then the pastor stands up and says, okay, now, every single one of you who has messed up in your life, every single one of you who has sinned, please get up out of your seat and come to the front. And as one, the entire class stands up, walks to the front, and stands by this couple, side by side, helping them, supporting them, loving them, through a very difficult time. That's what an authentic church looks like. 
if we're going to experience authentic community together, then we have to realize we all make mistakes. And the church is full of imperfect people, and we're all going to do stupid stuff. And Lord knows I've done plenty over the last 15 years. But authentic community can only exist when judgment is replaced with grace. I think, and I think it's true, that authentic community, achieving authentic community in the church is very, very hard work. Because it requires us to be humble even when we feel insecure. It requires us to give up protecting our image and not worry about what other people think. It requires us to speak up when somebody else is talking about somebody else or being negative or gossiping or being divisive. It requires us to be brave enough to stand up and say, stop. That's not what we do here. That has no place here in this church. I think one of the beautiful things about Westridge is that we have never been a place of judgment or acceptance. But I also think that it always takes a lot of work for the community to band together to create a safe place where we're willing to be brave enough to get rid of those things that kill authenticity in the church. To continue to create a place where people feel comfortable knowing that they could be real here. The last lesson I want to share with you this morning, lesson number seven, is that we need to embrace our brokenness like it's part of you, because it is. There is something poetic about our brokenness, the mess that we make of our lives. When we pick ourselves back up after we implode, and we lick our wounds, and we limp forward again, our brokenness becomes part of who we are, and we have a choice. We can either embrace it, or spend the rest of our lives running from it like we're running from our own shadow. While my issues may be different than your issues, no one can escape the pain that life brings to our door, and we all have to deal with it one way or another. But the Bible promises this, that from the ashes of our lives blowing up, from the ugliness and the brokenness of our past, God will create beauty. He uses those hard times, our failures and our pain, to mold us into the people that he's created us to become. And as we move forward in God and we look back at those dark times in our life, we see growth and hope and new life emerge from the ashes of our own self-destruction. Embracing your brokenness doesn't make you weak. It makes you human. And it's part of your story. 
Before I started Westridge, I was uh, attending a fairly conservative church that, let's just say, was a little uptight. And there was one Sunday morning when this older gentleman, uh, well-dressed guy, first-time visitor, appeared to be in his late 70s, early 80s. He sat down and he just quietly became part of the service. And for whatever reason, he captured my attention and I watched him from time to time throughout the service. And I noticed at one moment, he just started crying. And then it turned into just him sobbing uncontrollably. And as the last song was being sung, he steps out into the aisle, his eyes full of tears, he raises his hands toward the heavens, and he just starts dancing down the aisle. This 80-year-old guy in a suit and tie, spinning down to the front of the auditorium. And you could tell Whatever it was, he was just feeling something so deeply. It was actually very moving to watch. Everyone was quite uncomfortable, and many people actually tried to stop him and get him to sit back down. But he just kept on dancing. When the service was over, one of the leaders of the church pulled him aside and just kind of asked him what was going on and why he did what he did. And with tears in his eyes, he said, I haven't been in a church since my wife died three years ago. And he said, I just forgot what it was like to be loved by God. He said, I just was so overwhelmed that I just had to do something. It just made me dance. When we truly get who God is, how he loves us, how he accepts us as we are and not as we should be. It is absolutely overwhelming. All of a sudden you get freed up to be able to live a life of authenticity, to be real, to not be afraid of what God or other people think about us. And you become so overwhelmed with joy that you just have to do something. Why not close your eyes, drop your inhibitions, and just dance like no one's watching.